Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. So right now, I'm just popping in for a brief introduction to a special video cast on our Everyday Buddhism YouTube channel, and now as an audio version for the podcast. It is our very first episode of Chat with Everyday Buddhism. We are planning a series of chats with our Sangha leaders, our Sangha members, and special guests. In the first chat today on this podcast, join a conversation with Wendy Shinyo-sensei, the host of the Everyday Buddhism podcast. That's me. And also, I'm the leader of the Everyday Sangha. But we're also talking with Bradley Janayo-sensei and Terry Hoskin, who are practice leaders of the Everyday Sangha. We will talk about what Everyday Buddhism is all about, and the benefit, the general benefit of finding community with and in a Sangha. If you would like to ask a question or suggest a subject for us to discuss on an upcoming Chat with Buddhism cast, you can do so by leaving me a voicemail on the Everyday Buddhism website or send an email. You can go to www.everyday-buddhism.com slash contact to send an email or click on the tab on the sidebar that says leave us a voicemail and then you can leave a voicemail message that is no longer than two minutes. So that's it for this short introduction. Thanks for listening and the conversation starts now. Welcome to our first chat with the Everyday Buddhism crew. Um, I'm going to introduce our group here today. Um, I'll start with me. Everybody, I think, knows who I am. I'm Wendy Shinyo Halet, um, the host of Everyday Buddhism, Making Everyday Better podcast. Um, and we're talking about what Everyday Buddhism is all about. And I'm joined by two of my friends, the Dharma brothers, Sangha brothers, and practice leaders for our Everyday Buddhism Sangha. And I will introduce them. Uh, I'll introduce Terry Hoskin first. Terry. Hi. And about myself? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I'm Terry, uh, and I've been uh, sort of a member of uh, the Everyday Sangha uh, for a number of years now. I first joined up uh, when um, when there was a discussion of the Heart Sutra going on. And this is a, a subject that had been near and dear to my heart since I first became interested in Buddhism decades ago. Uh, but other than that, I don't really have any you know, background with the particular um, styles of Buddhism that that Wendy and, and Bradley are, are with. So I feel like I'm a little bit of an odd duck out. Um, I'm a retired software engineer, 
um, I my education was in physics, um, and and so I come to this from a sort of uh, maybe slightly more secular point of view than than um, than Wendy does, but there's you know, um, you know room for for everyone in the Big Ten. And don't forget, you are a longtime Zen practitioner, right? Uh, yeah, so I, I don't forget that. And I don't know how much <laughs> you want me to spend talking about myself at this stage. Uh, but yeah, I started practicing Zen uh, shortly after getting out of college. Uh, you know, I was interested in Buddhism and Zen and read a lot of books during high school and college uh, during sort of the exploratory phase of what do I believe and what should I believe and what's right and wrong and good and evil all about and all of these kinds of questions and do you turn to science do you turn to religion which religion you know the, all of these kinds of questions that young people struggle with and not not only young people but everyone does uh, and and you know Buddhism uh, attracted me uh, and Zen in particular seemed very interesting. I can go into more detail about you know how I first became exposed to these ideas if if it comes up. But again, I don't want to waste too much time on myself right now. Um, but you know, shortly after college, a, a friend of mine who you also know it, through you know interesting coincidences in life. Um, uh, who is a college uh, friend of mine, and I went to a local Zen temple in Chicago uh, just to check it out uh, and not knowing what to expect when we got there. It happened to be a Soto Zen uh, uh, you know, uh, tradition, uh, and we got to sit you know, facing a wall, meditate, and do the things that we'd only read about in books up until <laughs> this point and, and find out what that was like. And, and you know, I was pretty well hooked. Um, the I, I didn't spend a lot of time going to that temple because you know, life was in the way and, and and whatnot. But I did pick up some CDs and recordings of teachings by the the head priest there, um, and got to listen to all of those in addition to all of the book reading and so forth. Uh, and there was a a one of the tracks on one of the CDs was a recording of them doing the Heart Sutra chants, which is why that one stuck with me for so long. Um, and you know, even though over the intervening years I was not actively engaged with a sangha, um, I, I would still occasionally listen to the teachings. I would definitely, frequently do the chanting. I eventually memorized the English version of the Heart Sutra, and I would chant it to myself in the car on the way to and from work. Not every day. I mean, I wasn't you know um, over the top on this kind of stuff. <laughs> But but often enough, especially when in periods of of my life it seemed like I needed to get a little bit more grounded and, and centered in things. This was just a way of of bringing you know that that kind of um, practice into my life. So again, the same guy who went to the the Zen uh, temple with me uh, shortly after college. Um, became a bright dawn um, lay minister as well uh, in in that program, and he was aware of your upcoming Heart Sutra study and uh, said, hey, you might be interested in this. And I, I was. And so you know, that was my introduction to this particular group. Um, and, you know, I can go into more reasons about why I stayed. But again, how much time do we have to talk about me? <laughs> I Well, endless, but uh, we, we can... <laughs> Uh, but we can talk about that later because there is a place that I, I do want to talk about 
like what what we took from being members of the everyday saga, yeah. how it's helped us and so forth. Yeah. That time we can do that. Oh, I, 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 I probably, it would be important to mention that that's not the extent of my Soto Zen involvement. Uh, after retiring from uh, my professional career as a, a full-time software developer, uh, I, I sought out local Zen temple and found um, one here in the Seattle area, which is where I live. Uh, and I've been actively engaged with that group, which meets in person, uh, except during the pandemic. Uh, but it's back to you know some in person meetings now, uh, and and so I do you know sit on a regular basis with uh, with two uh, different you know Soto Zen um, groups. One which is headquartered here, and another one which is affiliated, but located in um, in Rochester, New York. Uh, which I attend via Zoom uh, on a on a weekly basis when they're having sessions. Which is, since they're affiliated with the RIT Rochester Institute of Technology, um, the the teacher there is a professor of, of philosophy, and uh, so his his online Zoom sessions are uh, during school session, so they're not you know throughout the whole year. Great. Thank you, Terry. That's awesome. And uh, I think everybody gets a flavor. I'm trying to introduce people to the Sangha so they see we're just regular people. Yeah, doing, I'm doing regular <laughs> things. And, and, I'm and a regular guy. <laughs> and we're all we're all different and the ages are all different. And yeah. to to highlight that um, next, we'll introduce Bradley, Bradley Nussbaum, Bradley Janayo. Um, He is a recent uh, uh, graduate of the Bright Dawn Lay Ministry program. So he is a sensei with Bright Dawn. So Bradley, take it away. Let us know all about you in briefly. <laughs> gotcha. Thank you, Wendy. <clears throat> yes, that's right. That's who I am. And I did indeed um, complete the Bright Dawn Lay Ministry program last year. Um, <clears throat> a little bit about me. Um I too been a uh, member of the Everyday Buddhism Sangha for quite some time, I believe, since its uh, beginnings. I think so. Um, I think in the spring of 19. And um, very happy to be doing this and offering this to the public. That way, folks can kind of see some of our other faces, our friendly faces, and, you know, maybe uh, demystify a little bit about what our meetings are like and what our conversations are like. So this is wonderful. So thank you both for being part of this and, you know, for Wendy, for leading the way and so much, much appreciated there. Um, yeah. So I, um, during the day, <laughs> I'm a social worker, uh, specifically hospice social worker. More recently, I've been a social worker for about uh, eight years now. And um yeah, so that that ties in a lot um, with, you know, what I've learned from and what I've gained from um, Buddhist practice and being a member of the Everyday Sangha community. Um, more to come on that later. I can get into that um, down the line. But yeah, I think that's kind of what I do. I live out here in the great garden state of New Jersey. Uh, in the blueberry capital of the world, Hamilton, New Jersey. And um, we have a few cats here, two and a half, we like to say. We, one's a hybrid, uh, indoor-outdoor, 
And we'll see if we get any uh, unexpected visitors from them today. They've been known to jump up on the table and uh, join in on our calls from time to time. So, yeah, I think um, everyday Buddhism has meant a great deal to me. It's hard to put to words. So I'm looking forward to just kind of getting into more of a conversation about, you know, what what that's meant for all of us, you know, individually and where that might where we might share some meaning in it as well. Thank you, Bradley. Um, I'm just going to add something. I hope it doesn't embarrass you. He's also a mad, crazy drummer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) With a, uh, what, what would you, what, what would you classify your music? Is it punk? Is it, what is it? Um, I guess, well, you know, we don't want to be too strict or attached to labels, right? There but you, go. <laughs> you could say punk, hardcore, metal, grindcore, whatever you want. Okay. Well, to see, the listener. I, I, uh, it's I, not I'm cool trying, jazz, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to uh, show the diversity of our group um, um, and diversity in ages, diversity in um, we go from uh terry who's a logical physicist much like my brother so i'm very used to that um and um and and bradley who's this generally soft-spoken social worker who likes to talk about death but also this wild drummer so um it's so fun and it's also indicative as as bradley pointed out that uh, don't label anything because once you do, you put a period on it, and then they somebody can't be anything else. But we're a lot of things. So, thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Terry, for your introductions. Um, why I'm doing this? Um, number one is I've had some feedback, like people wanted to join the song, but they were afraid, which kind of was a mind blowing concept to me. Um, Cause I was like, I could get being afraid to walking in a temple and not knowing temple etiquette. Um, I could, you know, that kind of stuff, but being afraid to join a zoom call, <laughs> which is like what everybody does about for everything <laughs> since the pandemic, it just seems strange to me. So I wanted to demystify and make it a, maybe get more palliative and inviting and uh that yeah it's 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 an experience that's not the least bit intimidating and yes it's serious in that we talk about serious subjects and we ponder them and and we try to practice them but we also goof around you know and laugh, <laughs> laugh and that's cool too so that's one of the reasons why but I also wanted to talk about my concept of everyday Buddhism. I started a podcast um, when I was 65 years old. So uh, there's the chain, there's the the, the, the age diversity. Um, and I was asked to, by people who listen to the podcast, how can I join a sangha? How can I join a sangha? How can I join a sangha? So I thought, okay, I'll start a virtual sangha. And this was before um, starting a virtual sangha was the thing you had to do during the pandemic when everybody scrambled who had temples on how to do it. Um, I already had one and Bradley was one of my first sangha members. And so I wanted to talk about my, the thought I have behind everyday Buddhism because I think um, it, I think it's really important um, 
for me anyway, it may not be important to anybody else, but I think it's very important to uh, distinguish everyday Buddhism from a lot of different Buddhist ways people think about Buddhism. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not highly religious and it's also not completely secular. Um, and, and I, and that's really a hard thing to put into words. And so I'm, the more we talk about this in, in our little chats here, I think the better it will be. And you'll see what we're talking about. Um, so I'm trying to talk about it as a type of Buddhism. It came from, as some people know, the lineage of the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism, where Bradley and I both became lay ministers and senseis. And the Bright Dawn lineage is a non-sectarian Japanese Mahayana lineage that is kind of a conglomerate due to the to the studies and practices of the of Reverend Gilme Kabose and Reverend Koyo Kabose. Reverend Koyo Kabose was our direct teacher, um, Bradley and my direct teacher um, before he passed last year. Um, his father, Reverend Gilme, was the founder of the Chicago Buddhist Chicago Temple. Um, in Buddhism, uh, Chicago Buddhist Temple, which is was uh, an offshoot of sort of the Shin Buddhist, but it wasn't really strictly Zit, uh, Shin, which is shows you how how bright dawn and how everyday Buddhism came to be kind of not this, not this, not this, not this, but this maybe, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get that across. Um, but it is strongly influenced by both Shin Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, which, which is a, a good combination in my mind. Um, it, but it also came, the everyday Buddhism con concept came from you know, I can't help but be influenced by, I have decades of study and practice in Tibetan Buddhism, but I can't, I can't help but be influenced by that. It's not a negative. I kind of left the practice, but I didn't leave its imprint on me. Um, so, um, but the th thing I really want to talk about today is I think more than anything, everyday Buddhism is a way of life. Okay. Um, it's 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 focused more importantly on the way of life point. Um, uh, it you know Reverend Gilma used to say Buddhism is dead if you only read books. It only becomes alive if someone tries it on, tries it out, and starts living it. Buddhism means nothing if it's you're not using it in your life. It just it's just another another thing to read about and add to your already too full mind. Okay. Um, and Reverend Gilme Kabose, the, the father of our Bradley and my direct teacher wrote a book called everyday suchness. Now suchness is a term uh, used to imply em the emptiness concept of Buddhism um, and which actually means not this, not this, not this, kind of. <laughs> so so it really works for us. Um, now I'm taking a lot of liberties here, but um, philosophically, but I hear, I see Terry laughing. And, and but that was the thrust of the, liver, the lineage is kind of everyday 
book. And so I wanted to read one, one thing from his book, um, uh, um, The Center Within, um, because I, I think this is really a good way to get our discussion started today. In his book, The Center Within, Reverend Gilmay Kabose quotes the famous Zen teacher, Nansen. He, he, he was the one that did the koan about the dead cat, but you can look that up. Um, who was asked, uh, his, the teacher was asked by his disciple, what is Buddhism? His answer was everyday life. And then Reverend Gilmay went on to say that we talk about the way in Buddhism or the path. It's kind of like the Tao, okay? Only in this case, it's the way or the path. And, and Reverend Gilmay writes, what is the path? What kind? And he asks the question. He sort of like um, lays down the gauntlet for you to answer it for yourself. What kind of path do you walk? We make many pretensions and we represent things as we want them to be. We do not see things as they are. We do not understand life as it is. Buddhism is the most natural way of life where every little thing we do, every little thing we do is the way. Every way is different, yet there is a great way in Buddhism that everyone walks. It is the same path, but different to each individual. The universal and the particular become one. You live your own life. You live, I live. Life is art when lived that way. Art must be original and unique. Like the art of haiku, which is Japanese poetry, is the Buddhist life expressed in poetic form. Each moment in life is a poem in itself. It is the way that Nansen pointed to when he said, Buddhism is everyday life. So I thought that's a good way to get the discussion started. We can go anywhere with that. And I, what I like in our sangha, and trust me, we go everywhere. And we go everywhere based on what that means to someone's particular life at that particular moment in time. Reverend Coyle used to teach, life is just person, place, and time person, place, and time. So we talk about everything from uh, psychotherapy to um, our rotten job, a, a, a dead coffee maker to every, er, everything. So um, I'm going to let you guys go with this for a while before I say anything. Who wants to start? And this is how we do it in the Sangha. Who wants to start? I've got something. Yay. <laughs> got it. One thing that came to mind, um, and, and thank you for sharing about the Bright Dawn lineage and, um, you know, how that ties into, you know, what is the conversation, right? Topic around what is everyday Buddhism, right? How, how is it maybe different from other forms? And you mentioned wanting to do this partly to, give people kind of um, a glimpse of what our conversations are like and and we can kind of um as you mentioned just reading maybe about buddhism maybe isn't enough and there needs to be that experiential piece of trying the teachings on trying them out for oneself um including to be part of a community um or, or multiple sometimes and so I wanted to just acknowledge 
um, maybe there's a question in here, but just acknowledge, and I've shared this before um, outside of this recording about vulnerability. Because you mentioned, maybe I'm challenging you a little bit, Wendy. You mentioned, why would people be intimidated? You know, what's there to be afraid of in coming to the song? And I think one would be the question marks of the unknown. What will it be like, right? Getting into different, It's even though it's virtual, it's still a new social environment, so to say, a group. There's There can always be that fear of rejection. And that brings me to the vulnerability requires, which will be a different amount, context, right, matters right. for each person, depending on where they are and life. Um, I think what I like to kind of point the conversation to is everyday Buddhism is a way of life in which we're living a full, meaningful life with our hearts open open to the realities of our lives and, and and everything going on in the world. So it's a an approach that in my mind has us practice opening ourselves to the world that requires some willingness and vulnerability to feel <laughs> things we may not have felt in a long time. And I think that also applies to communicating, interacting with others in the Sangha because um we're bringing ourselves and our hurts and our stories and our histories and you know for myself my um jumping off point to search for some type of spirituality or uh, religion was something that was tremendously painful it was my father had been sick with alzheimer's disease for a number of years and i got to a point when nothing was really quite doing it right helping me kind of cope with the tremendous amount of change going on in my life and my father's life and our lives as a family and it, there's the ripple effects right so for me i got to a point where i thought you know i think maybe it's spirituality right maybe um maybe it might be beyond uh recreational activities social friendships therapy and long story short that's what got me to looking into podcasts i found myself drawn to the buddhist authors and whatnot and it didn't take long for me to find everyday buddhism and find that i really resonated with wendy's teaching and and message and just you know, her vibe all around. <laughs> so I was at a point when I I was pretty much desperate for support, you know. There was a strong desire for connection. And that was what I shared at one of our first Sangha meetings yeah. when we talked about what's your why? What is your intention for learning about Buddhism and practicing and coming to uh, sangha and i just it's just connection i didn't really know what that would mean or what i would learn down the line but i think a lot of it boils down to that and it could be scary and at the same time can be deeply meaningful and it has been for me so that's what i wanted to um 
just kind of throw out there and share. That's very well said. You know, I kind of remember, Bradley, before Terry, you jump in, I kind of remember that conversation that when you said connection and I, it touched me deeply because um, it was one of my reasons because I was getting these emails that people wanted that connection, even if they didn't know the meaning of Sangha or anything like that. It's like, you know, we all want connection in, in, in some ways and we seek it in different ways, like neighbors, friends, families, coworkers, stuff, but it is different. And you're right. You said you're going to push back on me about why would someone be scared of coming to the Zoom Sangha? You were absolutely right. I did overlook that because this is a totally, uh, it's, it's a social, uh, you know, it's a gathering or it's a, a place where we would share ourselves with other people that is totally outside the realms of the way we normally share ourselves. So it's, it's totally an area of uncertainty. So thank you for sharing all that, Bradley. See how we share. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Terry. Yeah, I had a couple of different thoughts, uh, maybe two or three. Um, one was on that same subject of why would anybody be, you know, intimidated or afraid of, of joining? Um, and a part of why I'm here too is, is because this, it is so unintimidating once you get here, <laughs> right? Um, the, the idea of going to a, a Japanese Soto Zen temple, I mean, when I, when I first went, I was afraid everybody's going to be Japanese. Everybody's going to be speaking Japanese. I'm not going to know what's going on. I don't know the rituals. I don't know. I'm going to make a complete fool of myself. And, and, <laughs> and, and those were all the, the fears going through my head. I could only do it because I had a friend going with me. Um, and so we had the sort of, you know, mutual support. Um, and it turned out not to be intimidating at all. And that was, and yet that is so much more than, you know, joining a Zoom call. Um, and so uh, there's, you know, I think, you know, Bradley is, you know, or whoever mentioned there's spot on uh, the idea of the possibility of rejection. Uh, maybe it was Hugh Wendy who mentioned that. I don't remember. Um, but, but those are, you know, you know, totally valid feelings to be having. Um, and again, this is why we're doing this is to try and just exemplify, you know, we're ordinary people, not, not somebody to be afraid of. Um, and, and, um, and so we can be very welcoming to anybody who ever shows up. Uh, that was one thought The another one was, um, oh gosh, I had two that, that Bradley brought up in my mind and, um, I can only remember one right now. So I'll start with that. And maybe I'll remember the second one, and maybe I won't. The um, then that goes back to origin stories and the sort of the the you know a lot of people turn to one religion or another because of something traumatic right in their life. Um, and you know my origin story I alluded to was way back. Um, um, in, I'm 60 years old now, and this was something taking place in my early preteens, I think. But uh, I. I'm the product of a divorced parents who moved around the country a lot. I went to, you know, a different school almost every year um, uh, in different states from ranging from Pennsylvania to New Mexico to uh, Hawaii to um, Illinois. <laughs> and so I was constantly going from place to place. Uh, I was always the outsider. I was always kind of a foreigner. And when I uh, saw the TV show Kung Fu, from 1970s <laughs> starring David Carradine 
who is a this Buddhist monk. I mean, people today might not know anything about the show, but I'm sure you do, Wendy. <laughs> yes, who <I> do. <laughs> who was also he was in the United States. He was an outsider. He was a foreigner. He was going from town to town. Every every place he went, he was you know the new guy in town. And he exemplified this philosophy of peaceful living and coexistence and cooperation and all these positive virtues. But people were always hostile toward him because he was different and an outsider and people are suspicious of things that are different and outside their normal experience. And, and so I just identified with that character so much. And, and he also had the strength, though, to stand up for the weak and the the you know, the the victims in the world and he didn't allow himself to be a victim because he had the training in, in shaolin kung fu to stand up for himself <laughs> and and this was eye-opening to me on one level it was you know inspiring on another and so it's just like i wanted to to have what, what that character had right i wanted to learn what he knew that that allowed him to survive in this world of constant change and constant moving from place to place and and so I started learning about you know what I perceived as a young person you know that philosophy was and and so I where I started turning to um, you know Buddhist thought and Taoist thought and and other kinds of I also surveyed you know Western religions because I I wanted to be you know fair and balanced and not not <laughs> not um, uh, you know unduly biased by one TV show um, but. <laughs> But the the you know I, I gravitated toward you know the the ideals of of Buddhism of of wanting to help end suffering for all beings um, uh, starting with yourself right and uh, and and so that's that was you know what what pulled me in initially um, and I think you know oh, that was the second thought so so why why everyday Buddhism what does that mean to me I'll bring it full circle um, so. As intimidating as as you know, going to a something that's more you know ancient, traditional, you know Japanese Zen or something like that. Um, you know, this is a breath of fresh air. This is an opportunity to to sort of reinvent, you know, the the core fundamental understandings and teachings of Buddhism, but in a modern American context, um, and to to make it accessible to more people. Uh, because I truly believe that there's a, a lot of value in the, these teachings and these ways of thinking, which are not, you know, ancient in their nature, right? Their nature is universal across time and space. I mean, it's about the human condition. It's about the knowing yourself, knowing your mind, understanding how you fit in with the world. Uh, and, and the more we understand those things, the easier our life becomes, the easier it becomes to, to make good decisions, to understand other people and their motivations. So, um, you know, when I found everyday Buddhism, I thought, well, this is, you know, a, a good approach. This is, this is an approach to reach people who aren't going to be reached by, you know, going to a, a temple and sitting with their face against a wall and chanting and, and, bowing and doing all of these you know things that that goes on in in the ancient traditional traditions not that there's anything wrong with that and i still participate <laughs> in those too <laughs> um and and um and so you know i like bradley said uh was just you know really inspired by by the example that wendy is setting and uh and the effort that she's making with this program thank you terry and thank you both um 
you both hit on key things and, and actually touched my heart because you hit on things that I was trying to say and I didn't actually put into words quite as well as the two of you did. Um, <clears throat> and I, I just thought, I've told my origin story a lot, but you know, if somebody just happens upon this and they haven't heard a lot about my podcast, I'll just pop that in there real quick and I won't spend a lot of time. Um, I also got interested in Buddhism in my preteens, um, primarily, and it wasn't because of Kung Fu, although I do have that strong recollection that I was resonant with it. Um, but but your, te um, your teens came a little earlier than mine. So yeah, it wouldn't have been because... Yeah, yeah, yes, because I was a little older and I yeah. probably said, oh, geez, <laughs> <laughs> this is for young boys. Uh, yeah, well, I was at the time, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, but anyway, um, I, I, I had a, a, a profound fear of death, um, at, as, a, at, and, um, was preoccupied with, um, this is a very strange thing because I remember sitting in the bathtub when I was probably about eight or nine years old and having the recollection that I was thinking, I mean, that I actually had the aha moment that something was happening in my head. That's an odd thing and very hard to express, but it, it, it's what it did was it cemented me in a concept of self sort of like Descartes or something. It's a, uh, you know, I think therefore I am. It was like, I was very attached to that process. And then when I realized that death meant that didn't happen, then I freaked the heck out, you know, about that. I think a lot of it had to do with my grandfather, who I was close to, my, uh, my grandparents. My grandfather died on my 11th birthday, very kind of an awkward age to face that. Um, and we were kind of hushed away, you know, as they did back then from um, having any direct experience with death, except that that only the kind of person I was even then, that only made me more, well, wait a second, I got to figure this out, you know, it was like, how dare you hush me away? I'm going to, you know, what the heck? He died. What does that mean? What does that mean? And so I had a profound fear of death. Fast forward, you know, I got I got over that all the way. I was always kind of an anxiety prone kid, an anxiety prone teenager, and anxiety prone <laughs> young adult. But um, I, what happened was then my mother passed away suddenly. Um, I was studying Buddhism by my you know by myself, um, but my mother passed away suddenly. Um, she she had she had uh, you know electrical disturbance or a sudden death heart attack kind of thing and so it was unexpected and she was gone um and it it was in 1997 and it it that was like that was the accelerator the buddhist accelerator much like bradley's accelerator with his father and alzheimer's i just because it was so sudden and we we had a somewhat strained relationship or there were a lot of there was a lot of history that had problems in my life that that made it harder and i've heard this before that if you're not really sometimes when you're not really close it's harder because you have to keep reconciling all that stuff so i was 
I really, even though I had been studying Buddhism, that just, I put the pedal to the metal. I thought, this is it. I got to do it. And and <clears throat> I never looked back. Um, thank goodness I had that to go to. So I just thought, I I think I've shared that probably in my podcast and things. I don't know. I talk so much. I never remember what I say. <laughs> but, but anyway, I just wanted to uh, come full circle on that. Um, did you guys have anything to add? If not, I'm going to go to the, like the next subject I'd like us to talk about. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm fine. Okay. Um, so we talk about the Sangha. Okay. Um, and a song, what is everyday Sangha about? It's, it's similar to any Sangha, although <clears throat> like, like Terry talked about, like the, the, the formal ritualistic, you know, kind of sanghas that you're used to when you go to like a Soto Zen temple, or if you go to a sangha in a Tibetan um, temple and they're, you know, chanting in Tibet and conch shells are blowing and drums are beating. It's like, what the heck? Um, And, and, but sangha in its nature and what I try to do and what we try to do in this sangha is to make it more approachable. Like Bradley said, in the sense of who we are today without too many ritualistic elements yet i'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater i'm very strong about that i'm not going to throw out some ritualistic elements which we'll talk about um uh, a little bit later about what we do in our sangha but let's let's first talk about why sangha you know there was the story of <clears throat> why sangha from the 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 Pali canon the first teachings of the the sutras of the buddha um the story goes that one day uh one of buddha's disciples ananda who who was uh who was very close to the buddha says uh, i'll get the quote it seems to me that half of the spiritual life is good friendship good companionship good comradeship and so Ananda said this to the Buddha, and then the Buddha actually corrected him um, and said, even though it, it was a nice thing that he said, he said, not so, Ananda, not so. This is the entire spiritual life, Ananda. That is good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. And then they say when a monk has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade, it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate the noble eightfold path. So in Sanskrit, there is this term called Kalyanamitra, and that essentially just means spiritual friend. Um, Kalyana is translated as good, true, virtuous, upright, and Mitra is the root word for uh, Maitri, um, which means kindness. Um, and a Kalyanamitra is someone who helps you realize your deepest aspirations and keeps you on the path, you know, keeps you inspired, keeps you motivated and keeps you from being a jerk. Right. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have a good friend that when, when I know that I'm, I've been a jerk or I think I'm being a jerk, I will text her and I'll say, you have a minute to talk. Cause I think I'm being a jerk here or we'll, I'll, I'll text her and I'll say, um, <clears throat> um, can you talk a minute? I'm, you got to talk me out of my crazies. Okay. <laughs> or, or, so that's what, and despite the fact that 
those of us in this sangha, in the everyday sangha, never knew each other from Adam and probably would have never run into each other in any other circumstance. We are that to each other. I feel it's it. And, and that's what the everyday sangha is about. And that's what I feel we are to each other. I can't tell you, well, it's just my nature, but I can't tell you how many times I cry in sangha because I just feel so close to everybody. Um, So it's because we all motivate each other to walk the path, the path that Reverend Gilmay was talking about in our everyday lives. So I thought this is a good time to ask, what do we do in everyday sangha? What does, what does it look like? So Terry, do you want to lead and explain what it is, how uh, our sangha meetings look? So what does, what is, what happens in a meeting, right? What happens Um, in a meeting part? Yes. You you could talk about the historical change or you could talk Uh, about just now or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it hasn't always been this way. In fact, it's only relatively recently that we adopted this precise format, um, it, which is just putting a little bit more structure and, and a few more elements to what we were doing you know, previously. So if anybody ever you know, did pop in before, you know, things are different now, <laughs> but, but not hugely different. Um, so we, we, we trust, try to, to put a, a program around and some structure around our, our meeting to introduce some a little bit more ritual, I think, uh, and liturgical sort of format. Uh, which is important in my view um, uh, to help kind of frame, you know, what you're about to do and to set the mind in the right mindset, sort of reset a little bit on whatever other distractions you have during the day. So we start out, you know, we, you know, typically wait about five minutes for people to join. I shouldn't mention that because (laughs) then people wait five more minutes anyway. But but um, we open up the doors actually ahead of the the scheduled start time so that we can have a virtual coffee hour. And if people do join up or show up early, then it's just you know coffee hour. We can discuss whatever is on your mind. We can you know you can ask questions about anything before we actually get started into the um, the the program per se or the uh, ceremony. What's the right word to use? The um, I'm blanking right now. Um, but then there's, uh, once we get started, there's an opportunity for announcements. Um, you know, if there's something that will be different next week, um, or, you know, some change in somebody's life or something like that, we can, we can bring those up. And then, uh, we start, you know, uh, ringing a bell to, to get into the formal, uh, start. Uh, there's, uh, the leader, uh, of the week and, and Bradley and I are currently taking turns, uh, uh, leading we meet every other week. So once a month, each of us gets a chance to, to be the, the leader, um, we'll recite some words, um, to, to, you know, call us into our, our service. Uh, we take refuge in the three treasures. Um, we have an intro to a chant and then we all chant together virtually so everybody should be on mute because it's just chaos <laughs> if everybody's not on mute uh, but the leader will play um, a, a musical chant that that the participants can then all um, chant along with in, in their uh, respective locations uh the the leader then introduces a five minute introduct uh sorry uh medita- meditation period um where uh again we kind of center our thoughts around um you know something or nothing uh depending upon on the the particular session there might be a suggestion from the leader about what would be a good thing to meditate on 
Uh, one's also free to meditate in whatever style uh, one one prefers. Uh, we then uh, <clears throat> turn toward Dharma discussion. And this comes in two forms for our group. We, we, we ask for volunteers from the Sangha. There's no obligation uh, to, to do this, but we ask if a volunteer wants to provide what we call a Dharma glimpse, which is a short or uh, theoretically short. Uh, <laughs> sometimes our glimpses are longer than our talks, but uh, a, a glimpse into something that that uh, was meaningful to them. Um, uh, maybe it was inspired by the reading that we're doing, and I'll come to that in just a moment, or maybe it was um, just some reflection on, you know, everyday Buddhism and and uh, something that they were inspired by during uh, the past couple weeks. And then we get into a Dharma talk by the leader, and the Dharma talk is, in principle, a little bit longer than a glimpse, and uh, goes is typically inspired by the reading in, in one way or another, uh, and um, but but needn't be. And that lasts each of these. You know, the, the glimpse might last about five minutes. The talk might last about ten minutes, um, give or take. Some are longer, some are shorter. And uh, then we open it up for discussion. And the discussion will be about the talks that we've had. It'll be about the reading that we've been doing. And I keep mentioning reading, so I should mention that that. Going along with all of this, there's typically a book that we're studying, and um, it will take us, depending upon the length of the book, anywhere from a couple months to half a year or more, I think, to get through the book, because we'll tackle a chapter or two at a time, uh, and um, and you know, the uh, discussions and, and talks will often be inspired by whatever it is that we were reading about during the last, the last period. Um, and the discussions, um, you know, it's open floor discussion. People can raise their hand and say, I want to ch chime in. Um, and But there's, no, again, no obligation. Nobody has to say anything. If you just want to listen and hear what other people have to say for a while before you get your feet wet, no pressure. Um, and uh, then after we're done with all of that, we'll do some, you know, vows. Um, and uh, the leader will... Uh, read a, a dedication of merit um, and uh, we take some more bows and then we're done. I don't think I've left anything out because I was looking at our program, um, but <laughs> no, maybe I skipped great. a line. Um, and, and and yeah, so it's it's a mix of a little bit of formal elements, but it's done in a, in a pretty informal way. I mean, the um, yeah, and we're still, to be honest, kind of learning uh, what works and what doesn't. We might change the the format just a little bit. Bradley and I have different styles of chanting and different bells that we ring, but um, uh, the the idea is to 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 foster the mindset, like I said, and to get people kind of receptive to thinking about you know what they've been reading, to thinking about what we're we're saying, and to listening to each other, um, and and to learning from each other as well. You know, you know it's a it's a truism that that you learn more by teaching, and so I'm I'm you know learning you know, a lot by doing this, um, uh, you know, and um, often learn very deep lessons from the members of the sangha, the, and reminders of, of things that I might you know forget. That's excellent. Uh, 
And thank you. Uh, I picked the right person to do a summary. Not that you wouldn't have done a summary <laughs> like that, Bradley, but that was pretty, pretty perfect. Right on. I don't think I, I could have done it. And if I did read the program, I would have probably just read it. You did it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question I wanted to get to, and I was going to point to Bradley on this, but he sort of already did it earlier um, about how has the Sangha helped you? You kind of went there, but maybe more specifically about, you know, the, the actual, you know, how the interaction with each other on the Sangha and that sort of thing. I don't know if you can say any more about that, Bradley. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I say that meaning go forever, but yeah. I can't give, I can't fit in every way it's helped me because there's just too much and i want this to be um uh consumable for people and not see a five hour long you know podcast and say oh, i don't want to listen to that it's too long <laughs> <laughs> right so one thing that popped up as you were going through our meeting uh service terry um was i think one thing a lot of newcomers to buddhism they think about enlightenment, they'll think about transcending permanently all of their human um, qualities and struggles, if they could just meditate enough or chant enough or do enough prostrations, whatever it is. And, you know, the everyday Buddhism approach um, honors, acknowledges and accepts our all of our humanness and that our inability to see things as they are at times uh our foolishness right so i say at a very minimum over the years i've been coming to the sangha even when there have been times where i may have felt more kind of withdrawn but i still wanted to show up to listen whatever the case may be showing up and the possibility of being seen or sharing something or having someone ask me something i think was at least an every other week reminder of my foolishness because we can get in our own heads of i'm doing things right why is someone at work giving me such a hard time and i don't know my what why my wife is you know, bothered by um, uh, whatever some silly everyday example when I'm I'm not doing anything wrong, and <laughs> you know that the community and the spiritual friendships, knowing that the sangha members, our friends, are on the path too. We remember that we are all human beings, and it's not about spiritually bypassing our human nature it's more so about learning ways to be the ways of living the everyday buddhism way to practice awareness recognition of our foolishness and um just as i said just the mere attendance of the sangha can remind me like hmm let's see all the nonsense i've been uh clinging on to in my head that may not be the most um open way of you know seeing the world and interacting relating with the world so that's kind of on the bare minimum 
which is pretty significant <laughs> for, for <laughs> me at least. On the other hand, on a bigger scale, as I shared earlier, the reason why I was seeking uh, spiritual life, I realized it was lacking, um, absent, and, um, you know, um, however many years ago that was now, when my father was sick and was going through a lot of change and a mental, emotional, spiritual struggle, I was seeking out the spirituality. And as I said, I was looking for the connection. And in our meetings, doesn't always come up, but every so often someone does share, as I did many times, about challenges they're going through. And that's not in a way to just kind of dump their emotional uh, trauma or problems onto others. Um, there is a real way to bring everything about your life, including the um, all the difficulties, and apply the teachings yeah. that that we're learning um, through our various studies and just the teachings by way of relating with one another. I remember it's not uncommon that when we have family members, loved ones going through, um, you know, excuse me, chronic or, or, or terminal illness, the caregivers or, or just people involved to some degree, well, they often doubt themselves in a way that's not, um, you know, um, bringing up curiosity or exploration. The doubt is more oppressive. You know, am I doing something wrong? Is what's the right way? You know, I, I when there's no there's no right way. It's you know usually up to each family on medical decisions and and, and things like that. And I remember on a number of occasions, uh, a number of different people who are still with the sangha, some people who have come and then they stopped attending, having very brief interactions with them where I don't think the content of what they said matters as much, but it was just this allowing for me to share this, whatever the burden was, you know, that vulnerability and essentially what was fostered was a relationship of acceptance, acceptance for the struggle I was having. So having that where I was in life, you know, uh, be accepted by others and that be related back to me, kind of like a mirror, allowed me to um, open to that possibility of a dynamic acceptance for myself. So that's kind of been one of the most, you know, meaningful, you know, what have I taken away from this? And that's just for me, you know, you don't necessarily have to have some huge life change or you know, experience like what I'm describing, illness and, and death to, in order to start a spiritual journey. But for some people, that's it, you know, and um, yeah, so those are a few things that came to mind for me. You know, that that I'm I'm glad you brought some of that up because, you know, it's not always big stuff that people share. It's like the little stuff you talk, you like you mentioned about like your wife and your coworker and stuff. You know, there's a lot of, at least me, I, I you know, in, in it, when I was uh, 
practicing and studying in Tibetan Buddhism, I was doing this practice called Nundro, which is supposedly the initial Vajrayana practice, although it's so not initial. Um, uh, and it's like comprised of like a hundred thousand prostrations, a hundred thousand offerings, a hundred thousand um, <laughs> um, uh, confessions, all all this stuff. Um, and then you have to keep track of how many you do. And that was sort of the thing that I think pushed me over the <laughs> and made me leave Tibetan Buddhism. But my my ex-director and spiritual mentor in the Tibetan practice said that that uh, uh, Nundro in, 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 a, in a sort of a, you know, a, a spiritual mysterious way, he, he sort of said, well, Nundro did the job for you. You found the right place. <laughs> and, and that's essentially what happened. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up was because a lot of times you're not like, I don't want people to get the wrong impression that like, we're just all sitting around, like in a, in a, in a sob story kind of circle, like, you know, crying and talking about the awful things that happened to us. And cause I've been part of those circles, um, uh, in, in the UU church, for example, I don't mean to say that as a downer, cause that's good for a lot of people, but that doesn't work for me. And I know it doesn't work for a lot of people because, you know, that's not really always what you want. Sometimes you want uplifting and laughing. And, and so I'm saying this because I come to the song many times I'm confessing the most ridiculous thing. And I think of it as confession because, you know, sometimes you, you might, you might like make judgments. Like you said, you were taught, you mentioned your wife. I, so I'll, I'll say, you know, sometimes, and I've used the story in the Sangha before my wife and I have an ongoing struggle with where the sponge goes in the kitchen sink. Um, it it, dri it drives me absolutely bonkers, truthfully, and and uh, hopefully she won't see this. Um, but um, she puts it on. You know, we have a double sink, a double porcelain sink. She'll put the sponge on the thing in the middle. You know, where where the and and I think a lot of people do that. For some reason, I think that's a really stupid place to put the sponge. So I every time I see it there, I put it in the drist dish drainer <laughs> and 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 every time she sees it there she puts it up on that thing so you know you know sometimes I can depending on the day sometimes that can make me crazy like crazy like geez you're doing you know what a stupid place to put the sponge but I'll confess that so it can be that stupid I, I know I'm stupid, but sometimes, you know, you're not, I'm not going to always say that to my wife because I'm not that big of a person. I'm not always going to say, oh, gee, I'm wrong. You're, I shouldn't say that. I don't, but I will confess it to the Sangha and I feel better afterwards. So I just wanted to lighten the load there. <laughs> no confession, right, Terry? Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> one of the, in my view, few things that the Catholic Church got right is that confession is good for the soul. <laughs> exactly. Well, in Tibetan Buddhism, you confess too. And I, I and I get that. And then I had a, yep. I had a Tibetan Buddhist teacher that said, um, um, if you want to keep something that you're doing or thinking quiet, don't shut the door because it's all out there. It's, it's all out there. 
everything is out there. And I, I think that's what Sangha does is it allows you to just feel real comfortable about being your knuckleheady self, you know, and in, in yeah. Shin Buddhism, we call it bonbu, um, which just means um, foolish being because we all are. Um, and you alluded to that, uh, Bradley. So it, it's nice to know that and I think everyone in our Sangha that goes regularly and even people who have come and gone feel very comfortable being foolish beings around each other. So, so, so far, I think I, we should probably close off. We, it's been about an hour and um, I think it was a wonderful discussion. I, uh, I hope it gives you a flavor of what's going on. Do you guys have anything to add before I summarize and close up? I was just, yeah, I have one more thing just on the topic we were just on about sure. um, Dharma glimpses by the members wow. of the Sangha. I just wanted to add that um, I'm really happy that we added that. And um, I think a lot of people too with religion and Buddhism too, there's this very... Um, People think of a hierarchy, just like, well, how could I have anything to share if I'm just starting as a new member? And, well, I don't know anything. And so, therefore, I should write anything to share for the group. And um, we want to hear from everybody because I don't think um, you don't need to be a member of the Everyday Sangha for three months or six months and then now you're allowed to share because you're allowed <laughs> to see the dharma in everyday life and apply the teachings of the dharma no it's right away so that's something i wanted to just share and highlight because i i love that that's part of our new uh format and uh, just to really encourage people to not to show up but if you show up and you really you want to kind of share what you're learning you know we love that so that's what I want to add. Yeah, and and I think you're right. It's I'm always like blown away at the people who share what they sh at what they share. It's it's like you you know so you know you read all these books by important Buddhist teachers and and the and our sangha share it it could be written up like that. I mean it it's like their glimpses into the Dharma in their lives are sometimes spectacular to me. You know it's just it's amazing, yeah. I think. And I don't, just, set, don't set the bar too high, though, or you'll intimidate people who do not want to join. <laughs> oh, good, good point. <laughs> well, that's what I was just gonna. I was just gonna add to that. Not that you know. Um, in some of the glimpses, you know, they, they don't have to be. They don't have to be mind blowing, and they could be mind blowing to you, and and maybe not to me. That's it might be very point. ordinary, and you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. So. Um, there's that too, right? With our history of presenting in schools, probably maybe in work. If we want to, we want to put, you know, do a great job and put on a great show. But um, you know, I think just showing up as oneself and sharing one's experience, you know, that in and of itself is is that that is everyday Buddhism right there. Yep. It is, and, and you're right. And and I didn't mean that in an intimidating way. Like, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> uh, I, but it was, it's like, I see that it, you know, this is what I've noticed. It's so funny because um, every, when people, we have the open discussion part, one person will like really get something out of the Dharma glimpse. 
And then another person will get really something out of the Dharma talk. It's, it's person, place, and time. It's what strikes them. So what I might think could be absolutely mind-blowing and amazing from somebody's perspective, it, it didn't touch someone else at all. And, right. and, and that's why it's wonderful to have um, all these different uh, personalities, perspectives, outlooks, um, his, histories, um, and, you know, different age groups see things different ways. Like we have some very, I mean, I'm 70, um, Terry's 60, but we have very young people as a part of the Sangha talking about their struggle with graduate school and stuff. You know, it, it just gives you a, a whole new outlook on things and, and makes you understand, helps make you understand other people better. Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys, thank you for showing up. <laughs> thank you for talking with me. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is we are planning, if these guys go along with it, and I think they will, um, more panel discussions for the public to see like this, um, but it might be more focused. That's the plan. Um, so if you have a question, about everyday Buddhism, about Buddhism in general, um, about a subject that drives you crazy, about a subject that scares you, about a subject that's dear to your heart, um, feel free to ask us and we'll have a panel discussion about that. And, so, and at some point we might do live ones, but that's down the road. Right now we're going to do recorded ones and post them. So um, feel free to suggest or ask questions. Um, you can uh, write in to uh, using the contact form on the Everyday Buddhism website, www.everyday-buddhism.com slash contact, uh, or just go look around. That's a nice thing too. And then end up hitting the contact <laughs> tab and then let us know and then we'll monitor that and we'll say oh boy we have a lot of people wanting to know about um, uh, attachment so let's talk about attachment so I hope that sounds good to you I I think it sounds good to Terry and Bradley and uh, that's it for uh, this chat with everyday Buddhism thanks for listening mm -hmm.